Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of On the Bright Side. I'm your host, Caroline Susco. I hope you all are having an amazing day, and I am so glad you are joining me today. I'm not going to talk much because we have part two to get to of Kayleen and I's conversation, and it is everything and so much more. So let's just get back into it. How did you shy away from making decisions that were bad for your anxiety? So like alcohol, especially, that's such a hard thing to do, especially at our age and especially like being in college is an alcohol dependent environment. And a lot of the times I don't really drink. And if I go out, I'll drink a water. But like there was so many times in my life where I was like, oh, like I just don't want to miss out, you know, but then the next day I'd be like having this horrible anxiety that just wasn't worth it. I realized I drank my whole freshman year of college and mm-hmm. I struggled with my mental health my whole freshman year of college and I think a lot of people say drunk words or sober thoughts and drunk actions or sober thoughts I completely disagree because so many of the things that happened when I was drunk because I had a really poor relationship with alcohol were not a reflection of my personal values and mm-hmm. that's why it gave me so much anxiety and they made me feel this sense of confusion because I was like that's not me and uh, I think the reason that I was able to make this seemingly like radical decision um, during my sophomore year in college was, or going into my sophomore year of college was because I always come back to this sentiment of, if you want to live an extraordinary life, you have to do extraordinary things. And I looked around and I was like, nobody else is really doing this. And I want, I know I want a different outcome. I know that I want to feel different than a lot of people around me feel. And it doesn't mean that they're feeling wrong or that they're not doing life well. Mm -hmm. But I knew what I wanted out of life and I was very clear. And so anytime I started with sobriety, just 30 days, I was like, just 30 days, that's all I need. And then 30 days turned into three months and then three months has turned into over two and a half years. And it is, will forever be the greatest decision I've ever made. And it, but it is, it's difficult. It's difficult when you like want to justify, well, like, oh, you know, everyone does it and it's kind of worth it, but it's never worth it the next day. Mm -hmm. And it's never worth it two weeks later when it's still in your system and you still feel the effects. Yeah. But I I watched so many people go through that process and I had to go through it too. Like I remember there were times I wanted to stop drinking and I like was coming up with reasons why I wasn't drinking one night. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult to just outright say like, I don't want to drink anymore. Yeah. And you have to find that certain friend group that understands that. Like that took me a while to be like, to find the friends where I didn't have to be like, I don't feel good. Like I'm going to do homework. I like now I just thought I was like, I'm not going out. Like I don't want to, I don't feel like it. And I want to like have a productive day the next day and being hungover, like it's just not in my cards. And especially with, for people with anxiety and like I take medicine and I know how if you drink the next day and like the week after, you're just completely thrown off. The medicine is not working and your brain's just going 100 miles per hour and the panic attack on panic attack. I can't even imagine because I ever since I've been on medication, I haven't drank. Mm-hmm. But it is. I have so many friends who do that and it's like you want to help them. But it, again, it's like the let them thing of right. okay, everyone to figure out their own thing and their own path. And it's not my business to to tell people to stop drinking like sometimes you just have to be kind of like an idiot and realize right I had to be so dumb I have a scar on my left arm from falling down a flight of stairs in Nashville and it's like sometimes you just have to let someone make their own mistakes hopefully it doesn't cost them anything Mm -hmm. Um, like maybe a scar on their elbow that isn't super cute but (laughs) it is it's difficult and it's I think a lot of people don't think about that because so many people in college now are also medicated 
Mm-hmm. And then it's also like, well, what am I supposed to say? I'm mentally ill and I don't want to drink. Yeah. It doesn't like the sexiest thing, but it is fine to say. And like, people will respect you if you're honest about it. And if they don't, that's just not your person. Mm-hmm. If I go out, I'm drinking like one drink here and there, but if not, like I'm just drinking water because I know what it does to me the next day. And I like hate throwing up too. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't do that. I had the first time I drank on my medicine. I don't know if you know this, but it triples what you drink. I didn't so, know that. So I had one white claw and I was throwing up all night long because it like, uh, like on a lightweight to begin with. And so it like doubles or triples your system. And like, I literally thought I got roofied, but it was just because like- Yeah, you med- roofied yourself. That's what I say. And <laughs> so people like, people were like, what happened to you at that tailgate? I was like, I roofied myself. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, like I actually like accidentally roofied myself. Yeah, exactly. So question, what do you do instead of drinking? Like, are you the person to still go out or what do you do instead? So I was, my first year of being sober in college, I was just like amazed by how much fun it was to go out and then remember the night. And I was single and also sophomore year of college. There's just this like, especially after freshman year of college being in 2020, 2021, it was like no more COVID really affecting our lives. Mm -hmm. Of course, what a privilege, but COVID wasn't as big of a thing. We were allowed to have parties. And so I felt like I was meeting so many new people. I was living alongside a bunch of people I hadn't already met. So it was just like this really overwhelming sense of novelty. And that year was so fun. I would go out all the time and just not drink. I would just bring a water, which I was like, that's perfect. It was so fun. And I've talked to a lot of people who are sober since then. And it kind of is like at the beginning, there is this period of, oh my gosh, it's so wonderful to go out and experience these things and feel the depth of the connections you're making and then after a while I kind of got really fatigued from it and was like this is Mm -hmm. so boring yeah I just started being like I could see I realized I think that I like spending time with my friends when they're not drunk and I like spending Mm -hmm. time which no judgment at all to anyone who drinks I always am like I could not care less what somebody else decides to do with alcohol it's not my business but for my personal time investment I'm a big quality time person. And to be honest, when I go to a pregame and the music is really loud and everyone's yelling and nobody's really paying attention and everyone's taking pictures, I'm like, this isn't really quality time, Mm -hmm. which is totally fine. It just means it's not really the space for me. And I've realized that and I try to be respectful of that. And so I try sometimes I'll be like, okay, I need to go out more. And Recently, I've just been letting myself do what I enjoy doing because I love having people over for dinner. I -hmm. love really intentional about planning things and saying like, hey, want to go on a walk on Saturday and want to go do X, Y, Z, things that are alternatives to drinking because I've realized I just don't really have a space in the going out world. And also Mm -hmm. I'm in a relationship now and it just does not feel as necessary. There's no, a lot of people go out because they want to like find someone Mm -hmm. and this is only just kind of reinforced my habit of staying in because I'm like, I don't need to go out and, and find anyone. I don't need to stay out later. Mm-hmm. And that is also the difficult thing about not difficult. It's great. But one of the limitations to going out when you're sober is when you're drunk, you it doesn't matter how tired you are. You like, you can, you're still going, your motor is running. And when you're sober, you're like, I'm so sleepy. Why is it 12 AM? And like, why am I downtown <laughs> Nashville? And so I've realized that I don't really have the motor to go out and I also go to bed very early. Mm -hmm. So, but I try my best to find alternatives and 
it was so fun. I don't regret going out sophomore year at all. I don't mm-hmm. regret going out freshman year even when I was drinking. I do think though that it's become a, an interesting thing to be in college and not so closely identify with the social scene that it comes inherently when you're a school like Vanderbilt or a school like UNH. It's like yeah. we're always going to expect you to be involved in things like Greek life and going to date parties and mm-hmm. going to weekend trips. Yeah. And kind of just remove myself from that entirely, which I don't know if maybe I'll be 40 and I'll look back and wish I had been more involved, but right now it feels right. It's amazing. It's, and even my mom and my sister came to visit a few weeks ago for parents weekend and I travel a bunch. So I travel for work and like I traveled for that event you mentioned with Colton mm-hmm. and then I go, my boyfriend lives in Baltimore. So I go up there a bunch and I love his friends. They are like people I can sit around with and I can do that with my friends here too. But if I find that a lot of my friends, the time that we do get spent together is overlapping with time when they want to go out, which I totally understand. But I love spending time with my boyfriend's friends because we can all just like sit around and they're athletes and they're working. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of intense going out happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, oh, no, sorry, you go. Oh, okay. And my mom was visiting and she, my mom kept being like, and she adores my boyfriend, but she was like, I don't want you to regret like leaving every weekend, which I totally understand. That's kind of like the sentiment from every parent. But then she came to visit and she just like witnessed kind of like the life here and how it's not really aligned with what I like to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, I've come to peace with that. And I love my routine here and I'm perfectly happy with a lot of alone time. But it, she was, it was so validating for her to be like, okay, I see why you are constantly packing up and leaving for the weekend when you can really create this life that you want. Because as I'm getting older in Nashville, it's like this whole city is centered around drinking mm-hmm. and it's difficult to find those pockets where it's not super present or it's at least not pervading yeah. the general vibe of an event. So, yeah. but go on yeah. with what you're saying. Um, oh, so what you were saying with your mom. So me and my friends, we wanted to go to Charleston for like a long weekend in the spring. And she, she being my friend, not my mom, but similar story. She was like, Caroline, you're going to like miss out on like your final weeks. Like you're totally going to regret it. Like all the darties that are going on. And I'm like, but I won't like, I don't, I don't mind. Like that's not where my FOMO comes from. Like my FOMO does not come from frat basements or people at the bar. Like it, it comes from like wholesome moments that I can't be a part of. Like that's where my whole FOMO comes from. Completely. I actually saw that on your TikTok that I love the idea of house and I've never been and I've been trying to get people to go with me for the longest time. I'm like, please, I just want to go. It's all over my TikTok. Me too. Oh, it's beautiful. It looks amazing. Um, But yeah, that's I think and people don't understand that, too, because it's like, oh, well, they would miss out on going out. And mm-hmm. I think when you when you've been sober, when you're someone who even just like doesn't drink as much as people who were mm-hmm. like black, you realize that you're not really like you think that you're missing out on so much when you miss like a post game. Yeah. The reality is like everyone there has no idea what the fuck is going on. Mm -mm. I probably don't have a lot to curse, but no, you're good. You're good. But like, no one really is in their best state for connection. And that's what I think about. I'm like, like even tonight I've been sick and I have the marathon next week and I decided not to go out tonight because even though my team is having an event and I was like, I just know I'm going to get there. And I love all my friends so dearly, but I know I'm going to get there and everyone's going to be running around drunk. It's not going to be mm-hmm. the ideal setting for a conversation or like a wholesome moment, like you said. And I think being able to identify what kind of moments you want to attract gives you so much more clarity when you're trying to decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So do you get FOMO in the same way anymore or no? 
No, I've never gotten FOMO. Ever. Okay. It's crazy because I get so many questions actually on Sunday questions about FOMO and my answer always. And I live by this is that you're always exactly where you're supposed to be. And you're always doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And I think you can say that and like, oh, you're going through something difficult and you're always exactly where you're supposed to be. Like, this is a lesson you're supposed to learn. But I do it so radically. I think about it with like, if I'm eating a turkey sandwich and I'm like, shoot, I could have had mac and cheese. I'm like, no, if I were, if I were supposed to be having mac and cheese, I'd be having mac and cheese. And it just like, I feel better immediately. It's like, mm-hmm. I were supposed to be. It works at- for anything. Anything. If I were supposed to be at this party tonight with my friends and not in my bed, I would be at the party. But when you sit in your bed and you say like, oh my God, like, what am I missing? I'm missing something. And you resist the fact that you are in your bed and not at the party. All it does is take you out of the present moment. So you're not even enjoying the night in. Now Mm -hmm. you're just working about somewhere that you're not even there. And you're creating this whole scene in your head of like how awesome it is. And realistically, it probably isn't that awesome, but Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really have, I don't have FOMO at all. Just, I don't even know. I think I just have a really good pulse on what I love doing. And yeah. I'm very easy to please. Like if I light a candle and make a bake good, I will be mm-hmm. thrilled. Just put on one tree hill or something. I'm oh. I'm satisfied. Bachelor in paradise, satisfied. <laughs> I'm the easiest person to please, I swear. So what mechanisms do you use to cope when you're like going through a hard time? My favorite mechanism is most definitely breath work and meditation, which is such a cliche in the self-help world. But I do breath work on an app called Open and it's so approachable. It's like a five to six minute breath work set. And it just gets me in the right headspace. And people always talk about meditation as like silencing your brain. And I heard somebody talk about it. I forget who saying that you don't meditate for the days when everything is going perfectly. Like you meditate for the days when like shots are being fired around you and you need to maintain some sort of concentration and presence. And I always think about that because it's like, even if I'm having a good day, it doesn't mean I should skip my meditation or my breath work because on the days when it gets difficult, like I want to have that tool consistently in my toolbox and minimize the feelings of doom that anxiety brings on. Mm-hmm. So Definitely breathwork and meditation. Obviously a huge tool in my toolbox is medication. And I would be remiss not to mention that. And then I find that when I'm having a really difficult time, something I utilize a lot is one-on-one time with people. And I think one-on-one time with someone that you really love and that you feel like understands you and sees you and wants to spend time with you is so rejuvenating because it reminds you that somebody else is human. Somebody else is living their own individual life. It's not like the whole world is against you that Mm -hmm. a lot of times your anxiety convinces you that you're different than everyone else. And it's really grounding to spend one-on-one time with someone, go on a walk, go out to dinner, make a meal. And uh, I always find that spending one-on-one time with someone specifically like really makes me feel filled up. And obviously if they want to invite someone else, I try not to like exclude people and be like, no, you can't sit with us. No, you can't sit with us because I want one-on-one time. <laughs> like I will happily spend time with multiple people, but that is one of my tools. And then exercise of course, it's so cliche, but I love running, walking. I really do think that if you are having anxiety, like the best thing that you can do in the moment, doesn't mean it's going to wipe anxiety forever. It's just going to walk in the sun, mm-hmm. maybe a dog, like all those things. There's so many little things I do to maintain this feeling of groundedness. Yeah. Did you ever watch Chris Hemsworth thing on Disney Plus? 
I forget what it's called, but like he's basically like doing these crazy things to get his anxiety and stress in check. So he'll do like these crazy things, but like through the whole time his heart will be monitored. So he like learns all these like breathing tricks and whatever. And that's what reminded me of it because he talked about like box breathing. He's like walking like a thousand feet up or something. He's like, let me just box breathe. And then like you learn about it. And but like it's so cool because you see his heart rate and it just completely like starts to go down less and less. And it's like every episode you learn something like that. So that's what that reminded me of. I need to watch that. I really need to watch that. I'll text you when I remember what it's called, but I don't remember what it's called right now. Breathwork is an amazing tool that I think gets overlooked a lot in the shadow of meditation and affirmations. And I mean, I've done EFT tapping before. I haven't found as much resonance with tapping. Um, I haven't either. Yeah. I mean, I'm so happy for the people that have, but yeah, it's just not my thing. And I love high-fiving myself in the mirror. That has been a huge thing. I'm, I'm a massive Mel Robbins fan and that's been life-changing for me. Just giving myself a high-five in the mirror. It's neurologically just like a gift. That's your episode that I was listening to the other day. And I was like, she is the most precious soul. And I go, and then I started doing it the other day. I go, I love this. <laughs> that I was telling my boyfriend a few weeks ago, I was like, I forgot he was having a difficult day and I was like you've got to high five yourself in the mirror and he like went to the bathroom like did you high five yourself and it really is it feels so childish but it's like I'll look in the mirror and I will high five myself and I will fully be like I love you and I respect you mm-hmm. and especially like I was saying earlier when you've struggled with anxiety or OCT and things like that and it is in some ways eroded your self-trust literally touching your own hand in the mirror and like looking at your own precious face and saying I love you and I deeply respect you and I now say like I trust you Mm -hmm. is it's so simple and so accessible and I don't know I just I feel really lucky to have been able to find that it's so easy to do and I feel like that makes me so happy that you did it I I did it the other day like I swear I had I'm in podcasting class like we have that as a capstone here and we were we had to like review a podcast so I was like perfect like I was listening to it anyway so I did yours and I was just talking about high-fiving myself in the mirror to my professor <laughs> and oh I was God, like amazing. I was like it makes you feel happy and like at first it's just like you're laughing at yourself almost because it's not something like that's in your everyday routine but then you start like laughing at yourself so much that then it just makes you happy and then it just becomes like self-encouragement and like it just it's self-growth like in itself it's so cute I love it it's so cute. I have really just embraced this like being warm, mm-hmm. soft, precious, happy, just living that every single day because it is so fun. It's mm-hmm. literally so fun to live and be like, I genuinely wake up and I'm not always possibly about myself. I wake up and I'm like, what a fun day to be me again. Like that is so exciting that I get to, I have this amazing, like healthy body and people that listen to my podcast but people also that I'll see on the day-to-day and like I get to impact other people's lives solely by being kind or being welcoming or making them feel seen and I swear it it literally starts with a high five of high-fiving yourself and giving yourself that encouragement of being like look you're not perfect but you still are so deserving of all the love and the good things that are on their way to you or have already come to you Mm -hmm. yeah you just pretend you're on a show and just like pretend everyone's Oh, really? Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so how important would you say it is to be surrounded by positive people when coping? Oh my goodness. It's so important. Have you heard that thing that's like the five people you spend the most of- or the people you become? Yeah. 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 I love it. We're on the same page. <laughs> we totally are. You can tell we've been listening to the same people and just absolutely mm-hmm. reading 
things. So I, I very much, I try to remain as cognizant of that as I can. And also I try to be really polite with boundaries when I'm with people who are not as positive. And sometimes I don't want to be confrontational. I just will like leave, I'll just walk out of the room. Um, obviously in a way that's appropriate and doesn't feel like I'm just mm-hmm. ghosting everyone. But even in conversations with my mom before, we've had conversations where she has unintentionally, unknowingly brought negative energy because she's just like, it's her daughter and she's feeling like defensive. And I've had to say like, this is really not what I need right now. Mm-hmm. What I need right now is like, I want to see the bright side. I want to see the positivity. And that's what I'm approaching it from. And it doesn't help when someone's like cascading all these negative aspects of something that's happening onto you. So I think it's so important to be around positive people. It's also difficult because not everyone is naturally positive. And mm-hmm. I think that I'm positive to the point where it can like literally seem satirical which is fine with me because if that's the role I have to play, I'm beyond grateful to be that person. But I also don't want to force positivity on people who don't see things that way, even as badly as I want to like shake them and be like, don't you see how awesome it is that you get to do this? Mm-hmm. It's people just don't think that way and it's totally fine. So I try my best when I'm going for something to be like, okay, who do I really want to spend time with? I'll literally go into my notes app and be like, okay, who really like recharges me? who fills me up. And even if it's someone that I don't see all the time, I'll go out of my way to be like, Hey, do you want to get coffee? Just because I know that that person based on evidence of our previous interactions, like I know that person really lifts me up and makes me feel good. And I also just try to limit time with people who spent, who take your energy. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean I love them any less. And it doesn't mean I have any less space for them, but it just means I'm prioritizing myself and being like, okay, maybe someone who's super negative or down as well it's not the time that we need to misery bond because that's not what's going to help me. And that's not really what's going to help them. Ultimately, it's like, how can I find a space where I am being supportive of the people around me, protecting my own healing and my own coping mechanisms. And then also finding people who like really, really recharge. And that could even be, I would avoid obviously self-isolating, but that could even be like watching certain people on YouTube if they like Mm -hmm. really fill you up or inspire you or going on TikTok and just stalking like your favorite creator. So I think it's really important, but it doesn't mean you should kind of like shun anyone in your life who is not an optimist. I love you put that into words perfectly. Yay. I'm so glad. I love it. All right. So now moving forward to good habits and more of where you are now, where or what was the point in your life where you decided you wanted to speak on mental health awareness? So I actually, so funny, I was actually just talking about this earlier today. I decided I wanted to begin talking about mental health awareness first with body dysmorphia. It was when I had begun eating disorder recovery in January of 2021. And I was like, why does nobody talk about the fact that we all are so many of us, unfortunately struggle with what we see in the mirror. And it's like, why is nobody talking about this? And so I remember I did a post on Instagram, just like a little paragraph long caption. And I started detailing things about body dysmorphia and things I had experienced. And I had to kind of dip my toe in the water before in like the fall before that. And when I'd started my Instagram, just talking about fixation on calories and how it's like so obsolete. And I, I started reading self-help books when I was a senior in high school. They didn't really kick in until like a year and a half later, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it, which is totally fine. Sometimes it just takes that time. I was on, mm-hmm. I was on my path, but I, I dipped my toe in the water and then I really like was very explicit about okay like I have been struggling with body dysmorphia 
got a bunch of DMs and people are like, I'm also struggling with this. I was like, wow, it's amazing the connection that comes when you're being vulnerable and honest and it's what a superpower it is. And that's kind of how I started telling my story. And then the next fall was would be the first time that I really shared my story publicly on a podcast. It was Morgan's Message Podcast, which is a very dominant organization within college sports. And I just told my story about growing up, being an elite athlete and how I struggled with my love for lacrosse and how my eating disorder catalyzed depression. And that kind of ensued this whole fantasy of like, what if I quit lacrosse? And it just plagued me for so long and it made my relationship with lacrosse really difficult. And I started writing in classes that I had like journalism classes, I would write about college sports a little bit, but I really was like, I want my identity as a writer, which is my first kind of profession, I suppose. I want my identity as a writer to be really different from my identity as a lacrosse player. Like those things can never be integrated in my mind. And then in March of 2022, I wrote a piece called a letter to college sports that ended up going viral, which was so crazy. Um, It was like picked up by us across magazine. And then it was on good morning America. And that's kind of how I got my start. Oh, it was crazy. And that's how I got my start in mental health advocacy on a way, you know, larger platform. And I love it. It is. It's so funny because at first I was so resistant because I was like, oh my gosh, like I've been talking about mental health for so long. And the one thing that goes viral is me talking about sports. I was like, it was like my nightmare of, I just (laughs) wanted to be known for writing about other things. And then here, of course, the one piece I write about college sports is like the thing that really it's the random things that go viral. Oh, most random. The most random things. Completely struggled on that. And it was it honestly, it wasn't until last February I went to Capitol Hill with Colton Underwood and his team at the Legacy Foundation to lobby for a bill called the Teams Act. And it's basically just this bill that would codify the protection of student athletes. And it literally wasn't until I was in Congress People's office. That I was like, oh, this is actually really cool. I should definitely pursue this. This this feels purposeful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was and it was then that I was like, okay, that like really reinforced my desire to continue being a mental health advocate and returning to Washington, DC. And since then I've honestly become really interested in just social impact in general because I mean it's amazing to go into a number of careers, but I do think that there's a lot of value in doing work that helps people, whether it's college athletes or people abroad. And I just have become very passionate about accessing. I think once you're actually in DC and you're talking to legislators, it's really amazing to be like, oh, I actually can make an impact. Like our bill was actually amazing. Oh my, it's incredible. Our bill was just introduced into the house a few weeks ago by Cory Booker and um, John Bozeman, which is amazing. And it's like, you think that what you're doing is so fruitless and you're never going to have what you want. And then you see this progress in Congress and it's like, oh, wow, I'm actually doing something. And so I think that was a big reinforcement. And now I've been doing that full-time pretty much, which I love. And I, I don't really talk about it that much on my podcast because which is funny because a lot of people found me through mental health advocacy, but it, it I never want to exclude people who aren't athletes. Yeah. And I try to like explain how student athletes are a microcosm of the whole world. And it's like, everyone's struggling with these things, but I also do have a soft spot in my heart for that vulnerable population. And so it's been so cool getting to kind of like form 
different opinions about this and become more educated about it. And I'm really excited to see where it all goes. That's literally amazing. Like, I can't imagine, like, just like work. Like I watch Bachelor all the time. Like I can't imagine just like pulling underwear, like, oh, let's go pass the bill together. Like, that's insane. Like you should be so proud of yourself. Oh my gosh. Thank you. That's so funny. That's, um, I, I'd never watched any, like my sister loves, she's like a Bachelor Nation version. Mm -hmm. I had never watched any of it and I knew who Colton was, of mm-hmm. course. I thought he followed me by accident. I was like, what in the world? Why did Colton Underwood just follow me <laughs> before he messaged me? But I also work with Release Recovery Foundation and the founder of Release Recovery Foundation was on The Bachelorette. And so oh. everyone was like, what is your connection to ABC? I'm like, no, I swear. Like, I don't have any connection to the You're Bachelor. like, I'm actually the next Bachelorette. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's so funny. Everyone's like, why do you always have these connections to these people? I'm like, yeah, I, I truly have. That's insane. No idea. But Colton's amazing. It's like, my sister was like, I can't believe you're going to meet Colton. And now he's like a dear friend and him and his husband are just like absolute powerhouses, both socially and politically and they're mm-hmm. human beings yeah i i followed him on instagram for the longest time and it's amazing just to see what he does it's incredible oh yeah, he just started his own production company no like, way oh my god he is amazing he is i just want to like wrap him up and be like that's what me and my mom said when we were watching bachelor we were like we love him we just like he is so precious like he's just like the definition of like a teddy bear like he, like i don't even know him <laughs> Oh, he but is, he's like, just precious. Him and you're like, first of all, his eyes are just like glistening and you're like, <laughs> you are so lovely. Like he is just a lovely, lovely human being. And I could not be happier. The way he speaks about his experience too mm-hmm. is like really very brave and eloquent. And it's just Definitely. like, I feel so lucky to be in any sort of circle with him. It's the coolest thing. That's amazing. So what would be one piece of advice you have for someone who is struggling with their mental health? We'll leave it at that. My best advice for someone who is struggling with their mental health is always, and I like, I really need this. If it's you listening and you're struggling with your mental health, I need you to buy in. Like, I promise you, you are not crazy. I just don't ever want you to look at yourself in the mirror and think, wow, I'm so different from everyone else. I'm missing something. Something is wrong with me. I'm somehow broken because I promise you it's not the case. And every bit of you that has gone through things that have shaped you into who you are is pure magic. And the more you look at yourself, like you're broken or like you're crazy, the more you lose that magic within you. And to be able to look at all you've been through and say, instead of how has all this happened? Look, say, look how far I've come. It is like the most beautiful thing to be able to kind of repurpose your pain into meaning. So remember, you're not crazy. You're not crazy at all. It's like literally the most normal thing ever. And I feel like so many people will try to tell you that it's like so big and weird and different. And it's like, this is science. Yeah. And I think boil it down to science and neurotransmitters and experiences and the way that our body is just trying to keep us safe. It is really life-changing. Just be like, okay, this is normal. And that's when you're able to approach it with a clearer mind. I hope that made sense. It did. It did. Perfect. Like, again, like amazing. Um, And especially just like me and you both having dealt with OCD, I feel like now going back, like, I don't think we would have ever imagined that we'd be on here on podcasts talking about OCD and like thinking that we relate to each other and not sounding crazy. Like, it's just, we're so lucky to be able to be in this generation. And I'm so lucky our paths crossed. 
Oh my goodness. I'm so, we are so lucky and I'm so grateful. I like seriously could not be more impressed with you and just. No, like you. (laughs) No. I was like, mom, guess who's coming on? (laughs) Oh my goodness. That is unreal. It's still like surreal to me anytime anyone says that, but I just know that me being like, you are so impressive. You are going to do so many incredible things. Like I can just feel it in my bones. It's like, and I know it's probably on like a vision board of yours. Like it's all going to happen. And I just seeing someone like that at this stage in their career is like such a gift to be able to have connected right now. when we're both at places where we're like, I want to do this thing. I want to this to be my life. And both of us are so intentional mm-hmm. about creating that. It is just like the most spectacular thing to be in a mm-hmm. space with someone who is also like believes in themselves and is willing to invest in themselves. You are such a powerhouse. And you are like, I, the amount of times I just was like on your Instagram and you'd post those little like words of encouragement and stuff like, again, going back to that friendship one, I felt so like off that day. And I was like down in the dumps with friendships. And I was like, this is exactly what I needed. And like, it was like immediate follow. Like I was like, you just put towards so many thoughts in our heads that we don't even know how to describe. And like, what you are doing is absolutely amazing. And you should be so proud of yourself because the content you make is amazing. And it's allowing so many people to just feel understood. I adore you. I adore you. I adore you. When you come, when you come to the area, you let me know. (laughs) Oh, I will let you know when I was, when I'm up in New Hampshire, I need a reason to come up to New Hampshire. I love it up there. I love Vermont, Mm -hmm. New Hampshire. Uh, I recently learned that a lot of people actually conflate the two states and let it be known they're different. <laughs> but <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you're from New Hampshire. I love Vermont. And I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> but like, okay, smile and nod. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, exactly. They're both in the Northeast. <laughs> they love me. Uh, and with that, thank you so, so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. I will make sure to put all of Kayleen's socials below and make sure you go on our podcast, Sunday Questions, and show some love. And with that, remember to stay looking on the bright side, and I promise you it'll serve you really well. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.